0: It's good to see everybody here. I I bring greetings from NDG, which is like 10 minutes that way. So so this morning, my name is Jordan, and I'm a local pastor here with Church 21. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our series uh, called Equipped on the Spiritual Gifts. And uh, like Jess mentioned, last week was Easter Sunday. The service was about the resurrection of Jesus. And so just to jog your memory a little bit, why don't we go back? And two weeks ago, do you remember what? dwight preached on what was the spiritual gift tongues yes and then the week yeah and what was the week before that Mm. interpretation or sorry discernment of spirits yes Um, and then we had others before that but uh if you've been tracking with us And tracking with the list that Jess read of those gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 8 through 10. We've gone through all of them now, except for three. Either individually or as kind of couplets or triplets. Um, Which three gifts are left? And I'll be covering them this morning in that list. There's a question for you. Yes. And? So one of three. Yes. Faith, healing, and <laughs> miracles. There we go. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> she read it. So, <laughs> so these are the three gifts we're going to be covering uh, today. Let me let me pray and ask for uh, the Spirit's help. I'm I'm going to hold this. i found my happy place. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Spirit, uh, would you would you be with me uh, this morning? Um, would you use your word to to reach our hearts, to transform us. Would you, like Paul prayed, uh, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to your incredible power, to to us who believe. Would you increase our confidence in your ability uh, to work, your power, but also in your goodness, your your desire and delight uh, in in working in our lives. Would you do that for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So faith, the gifts of faith, healings, in miracles. (laughs) Um, Can you walk on water? Oh, can you raise the dead? No. Whoa. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Miracles and healings. Is this what these gifts are for? Right? Natural question. And if you're like me, my mind, it immediately jumps to the person Jesus right he did the miracles he he walked on the water he turned it to to wine he he raised the dead he was a known Miracle worker even skeptical scholars say Jesus was a a miracle worker. They they admit to that if you would have it and His miracles they stand out too don't they like the ones I just mentioned in in their power and their uh, effectiveness and so those are the miracles of Jesus, but what becomes tricky for us Is then we move from the miracles of jesus to the to the teachings of jesus his teaching specifically on these three things faith healing and miracles let's look at it on faith mark 11 jesus in that chapter he curses uh, a barren fig tree and then the next day peter and the boys are walking by and uh, jesus had female disciples too but they're walking by and peter sees the fig tree and he is shocked that the tree has withered and so he says, Rabbi, like what's up? And Jesus says this to him in Mark 11, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken and thrown into the sea. And we're like, mountains, chucked. what? Throwing mountains is language of the time for doing miracles, okay? So Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, be taken and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in that he says it will come to pass, it will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. This is Jesus' teaching on faith. For us, Jesus is saying, if you have faith in God and you don't doubt in your heart, this is possible. The tree was an object lesson of what was possible when you have faith in God. Whoa. Okay, what about Jesus' teaching on miracles? Jesus said in John 14, if you don't believe me because of my testimony, believe me on account of my works. And he's speaking of his whole life, including the miraculous parts. And then the next verse, John fourteen twelve, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do and greater greater. Jesus is referring to more than just his life, including the miraculous bits. We can do the works he does. What about Jesus' teaching on healing? This is James, the apostle and brother of Jesus. In James 5.15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. The promise then of these texts, faith, healing, and miracles, the teaching of scripture is incredible. It's amazing, truly. Like, this is the God of the impossible. And he calls us, his people, to be people of the impossible, to be the church of the impossible. That we are to have big expectations of God for hope and for renewal. This is possible, he's saying, when my spirit moves. And this is what, These sorts of expectations, not presumptuousness, but expectations, big, humble expectations of God, are what God wants his people to have, people of the impossible, his church of the impossible. This is why, as a church, we are praying that in our lifetime in Quebec, over a thousand churches will be revitalized or planted. This is why we believe in our praying for a huge move of God regionally in our city, uh, there's something prophetic that we believe he's given us. I mean, this is the kind of expectation, faith, healing, miracles, that I believe scripture wants us to take heart in, to take a hold of, to have confidence in. But let's turn this over to you. What are some of the feelings that you have when you hear this is possible in the spirit? What are some of the reactions that you have, that you get? What does your heart say? Can give me some words. Yeah, what are some of the feelings you get when you hear this is possible? Like when when you read this teaching or you hear it? Hope? Hesitancy? How do I do it? Yeah, we're gonna get there. Hope, hesitancy, I'll tell you what I feel. I feel like this is crazy. It's audacious, it's impossible. And I feel excited all at the same time. It's 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 a mix, right? It's an extreme mix. And, and to be honest with you, I've really struggled with this. There's been times I've really struggled to believe that visions like this vision we have for Quebec is possible, or that faith, healings, and miracles like Jesus describes in this text and tells us are possible, is possible. I've struggled with that. See, I can accept it like in my mind, like intellectually, okay, I get what you're saying, but like in my heart to have confidence, my goodness, what's that going to take? And so this is what we're going to talk about today all right some of you are like "Oh, okay what the pastor just said what like yeah i need to grow in my faith too and you know when i preach to you i preach to myself too so we'll start with that what are the understanding side of things getting our mind around it what are the gifts of faith healing and miracles and then move to how can and dwight brought this up how can i move from doubt to confidence that God is able to say, uh, do what he says is possible in his word? How can I move into confidence that God is able to do what he says in his word? Okay, first the understanding part. What are the gifts of faith, healings, and miracles? Let's do, uh, start with a recap on the spiritual gifts. Can somebody tell me, question for you, what are the spiritual gifts? They are gifts from God, yes, and can you unpack what it means to have a gift from God, just a little bit? Or anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, A gift from God to build the church or at a certain time. I'll give you what the text says, a little bit of a definition. Um, chapter 12 of First Corinthians that Jess read in verse seven says that the gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. In other words, they're clear outward display displays of god's presence working in your life a definition you could say specific tools and roles supernaturally empowered by god to carry out his purposes the spiritual gifts are specific tools and roles energized by god to carry out his purposes in other words god is the energy and the source of them not you not your ability it is him and his power working through them that also means you don't choose them okay And what is the purpose of the gifts? What is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Hope already mentioned a few. This is a question for you. What are the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Yeah, to build others up. Our text says in verse 7, the gifts are for the common good. And I'll just, what's one more reason that we have those gifts? Yes, in verse 2 or 3 of that same chapter. The, the gifts are to give glory to God and to build up the church. In other words, they're not for our private spiritual enrichment alone, okay? So let's take that. This, the, the gifts are these um, tools supernaturally energized by God in order to carry out his purposes for the common good, for his glory. Then where does that leave the gift of faith, right? Because I thought all Christians have faith in one form or another, right? How is the gift of faith different hmm good question well there are i I, it was helpful for me to understand that there are sort of three types or experiences of faith in scripture okay sam storms gives these helpful labels for them converting faith continuing faith and charismatic faith converting continuing charismatic I'll cover the three. First, converting. This is the kind of fle- uh, uh, faith that every believer has. This is the kind of faith you get when you become a believer in Jesus. It's saving faith, you could call it. Ephesians two eight. For by grace through faith you have been saved. All right. So this is converting or saving faith. It's stuff. It's something that has happened to you in the past. And so, if converting faith has happened to you in the past, then continuing faith is faith in the present. That makes sense? Is the kind of faith you see in Hebrews chapter 11 where it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, it's the assurance of things that we don't see, that are invisible. C.S. Lewis would say it's a sort of, this faith is a sort of holding on despite the changing circumstances. Holding on despite the changing circumstances, i.e. in God. When I think of this kind of faith, my mind often goes to My mother, the way that she suffered a lot. And I'm not just talking about her raising me and four siblings. I'm sure that was hard. Um, But my mother battled stage four cancer for 13 years. And when I look back and I think, I reminisce, or whatever you must say, on her suffering, I can see now how it drove her into God. It made her grasp him tighter and tighter, despite her circumstances getting more and more difficult. That is a continuing faith. Galatians 2.20 says it like this, the life I now live in the flesh, or the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You live by faith. This is then an ongoing faith, a residual faith. It lives in us, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You could say the inner witness of the Spirit, that he is always present with you, reminding you he is there, of his promises, helping you have confidence in his word, what he's already said. This is continuing faith. It's a fruit of the Spirit. All right, that leaves us with the last one. So we've seen converting faith in the past, continuing faith in the present. It's ongoing. What about charismatic faith? Well, charismatic faith, unlike continuing faith, which is a fruit of the Spirit, uh, con- uh, charismatic faith is a gift of the Spirit. Instead of being ongoing and present, it is sudden and spontaneous. It's when God's, what, everything God has in the future breaks into the present. It's almost the future made present if you would have it. So charismatic faith has been described as a sudden uh, supernatural surge of confidence that God is going to do something right here, right now. A sudden supernatural surge of confidence God's going to do something right here, right now. Let me give you an example. Some of you will remember our friend uh, Jamie Day. He moved to Vancouver uh, this past year. And when I first met Jamie about three, two, two and a half, three years ago, he was not a Christian. And we met up and he had very tough questions about God. And as he was asking all of these super, super tough questions about God, I had this sudden surge of confidence. This guy is going to meet Jesus, and very, very soon. And I actually, out of that, I was like, okay, and I respond. I said, bro, will you come to church with me tomorrow? And actually, the Tomorrow was a sermon on homosexuality, and I thought that would be a difficult one for him, but I had this surge of confidence. The Spirit is gonna use that, and he did, and he did. I think that was an example of me experiencing the gift of faith. I'll give a random example. Today is a very sunny day, a beautiful day. I'm grateful for that. But let's say you had, for some reason, in the purposes of God, this sudden surge of confidence, it's gonna rain, right here right now that would be a gift of faith if it happened (laughs) now you notice in what i've described these sort of things you know that is going to rain right here right now (laughs) or this guy's going to become a christian are not explicitly promised in scripture god doesn't promise to save everybody his heart is to save he doesn't promise to keep the rain going like in a certain place in time right and so these are things they don't contradict scripture right? But they're not explicitly promised in scripture. And so D.A. Carson, the theologian, would say this is the type of faith, charismatic faith, that enables a believer to trust for certain things for which they cannot claim some promise in scripture. That's what sets it apart from continuing faith. And so this is what the gift of charismatic faith is. Okay, so now you understand it. But how do you actually cultivate a heart to receive it? we're going to get there. That's towards the end. But first, I'll explain the other two gifts. So that's the gift of faith. What about the gift of miracles? Let me be clear here by what I, you know, don't mean by miracles. Um, I don't mean the, you know, like people say the miracle of modern science. I don't mean it like that. I don't mean the miracle on ice, although it was a big win for America in 1980 or whatever. Um, And I don't even mean like the miracle of Life. I actually mean a specific event of God that goes beyond the natural properties of the things involved. That's a kind of formal definition. A specific event of God that goes beyond the natural properties of stuff involved. In other words, it's extraordinary. It's startling to us. You can't easily explain it. And it seems to point towards the greatness of God. Like, take Jesus's uh, water into wine thing. What was that all about? Well, Jesus is is pointing to himself and that he is the bringer of the better and more abundant joy that's what wine represents and if you think of it like this goes beyond obviously the normal properties of water it would have taken great power acting on those molecules and this is what that gift is actually if you look at the wording in in the text you could translate uh, 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 the gifts of miracles also as workings of powers, workings of powers. That's just another way of phrasing it. And so there's a double plural here. It's workings of powers. And you see this double plural as well in the third gift I'm gonna mention. It's not gift of miracles, miracle. It's gifts of miracles. And so these gifts, you see them in the plural. And I think that actually indicates something that's very important uh, for us, okay, that these gifts are not uh, residual, they're not ongoing, they're sudden and they are spontaneous. What is it about that, though, is, that is important for us to know practically? How do we take that and apply that into our everyday experience in life and in the church? And this is a question for you. What, what is that text trying to indicate by saying workings of powers, or gifts of healings? What's the practical takeaway from that? Over to you. Just guess. Yeah, it's a continual reminder. It's God's power, not our own. That's good. Anyone else? This is where we get really practical. Okay, anybody heard of Benny Hinn? Okay, he's, he's, he claims to be a miracle worker. Or what about a faith healer? Okay, the practical implications of this is that the text is saying these are not ongoing permanent residual gifts in somebody. These are sudden and spontaneous things that you will sometimes or possibly experience. In other words, there are no faith healers. There are no miracle workers. Does that make sense? Very practical takeaway from this text. Um, What are some stories though? If this gets was sun and spontaneous, um, I debated about how much to to share with you guys today. You've already heard some stories, but um, one of my professors in Oxford, he had this friend in uh, Pakistan that he would go to, he would work with in sharing the gospel in Pakistan. And this brother Daniel, he did his degree, at Islamabad University in Islamic studies, but he's a Christian and he used that to share Jesus in islamic communities in pakistan and one day well his life is often at risk because of this Um, and one day he's he's sharing jesus and as he's driving to the next place in this community uh, islamic militants come up alongside of him and begin to open fire on his suv and he says i was driving and he sees this happening and at the same moment he heard the spirit of god audibly say to him go left and to his left was a river and he said, I turned, I had no choice. I was going to, I turned left, and he was like, instantly, I was on the other side of the river and still driving on the road that was on the other side of the river, and I looked back, and there they were, still firing, com- like, completely astonishing. And that's like, okay, like, I know, it's astonishing for me. I saw, he, we recorded a, the, the ministry that he was a part of, recorded a video of him explaining that, that I, I got to see. But that's a bit far from us for from home, in a sense, right, in terms of like, oh, is this really, really possible? I will bring out that, was he a miracle worker? Is this guy now a miracle worker? No, no, he experienced something that was possible, a gift, the gifts of miracles, Um, maybe something a bit, or a, was he a miracle work i should say this the, this gift is not something everybody will experience first corinthians 12 29 to 30 says this are all teachers do all work miracles do all possess gifts of healings and the rhetorical answer is no okay but it's possible to experience it um, a few years ago this is two years ago um, i was part of something like relevant mcgill which is a week exploring life's big questions at mcgill as what I, was like, I was at something like that in Ottawa, and for each event, my wife was involved in ordering a certain amount of food for the people coming. And on the Thursday, I believe it was, we ordered 40 shawarmas for the first lunch event, and 120 people showed up. And the really odd thing was we started to count the number of people in their shawarmas, and there was more than 40. It was about 80 to 100. And there was this weird sense of like vertigo. You just sort of feel like you're falling because you know what you ordered. You know how many came and you can see the people eating them in front of you. And you're like, what just happened? The gift of miracles is still real. Now, what would be God's purpose in doing these workings of power? What would be his purpose in that? Because I thought the gifts were for the common good. Like, what good is brought through this? I'll use the Tim Keller quote. Miracles were not... lead lead us, he says, simply to cognitive belief, but to worship, to awe and wonder in God. Jesus's miracles, in particular, he says, were never magic tricks designed to impress and coerce. Instead, he used his miraculous powers to heal the sick, feed the hungry, and raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. That Jesus, through them, is demonstrating his kingdom to come and his will to be done in the present sometimes. And that they advance, they authenticate his goodness and his message, all right? Sometimes even including abundant quality wine and lots of shawarma. So this is the gift of miracles. Okay, finally, what is the gift of healing? Well, like the gift of faith and miracles, it is a sudden, supernatural surge of confidence that God is going to, in this case, heal right here, right now. All right. Uh, If you've been tracking up to this point, you'll see that we're unpacking this or understanding these gifts sort of like those Russian dolls. You know, you have like the gift of faith, and that's the big one, and you like remove it, and inside, oh, there's the gift of miracles, and you. You know, remove that even, oh, there's the gift of healings. You're getting just more and more specific, um, but describing a lot of the same thing. These are the gifts of faith, healings, and miracles. Now, some of you might believe that this gift has ceased in the church today. And I would just say, for the reasons to understand why we don't, that the reasons to understand we're a practicing that why we are a practicing continuationist church, um, go back and listen to the first sermon uh, in this series. In my own life, by way of example, I believe that my mother's health was sustained by a a prayer of, uh, a healing prayer sort of like this. She had stage four cancer, and like I said, she was given months to live, nine months in particular, and she lived for nine years. And I I remember us getting together with the, the elders in the church, and we actually anointed her with oil, like it says in James. That was a striking uh, memory in my mind. And for years and years she would stay well, she'd go to the doctor and they would say, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. There's no treatment really available for you. And her response would be, well, I have faith and I pray. I, uh, one, maybe one more story, more contemporary. My buddy Daniel described to me um, praying for somebody with a withered arm and watching it unfurl before his eyes, the utter shock of seeing bo- crooked bones go straight. He described it for me. I, and this is a guy I know very, very well. Um, anyway, why don't we see more of this kind of thing? This is so amazing, Jordan. Like you, you say these kinds of stories, it does inspire confidence to us, but why don't we see more of these kinds of gifts today? Like, let, let's take specifically healing. Why don't we see more healing? Let's think biblically here. Uh, Paul prayed for people, and he saw lots of healing. You remember the Isle of Malta? It seems everybody there was healed. But if you keep going through Scripture, there's at least three times he mentions people he left in different places who were sick. He himself, he said, I, there's, a, there's a thorn in my flesh that has never been healed by God. Why would we have these examples of an answered prayers in the Bible? Right? unless God is trying to show us things like, it's not our will, it's his will being done, right? We don't earn healing. Healing is not a right. It's not like you sow some like seeds of faith and pay some money, all right? And then God owes you healing in return. It does not work that way. That is false teaching, right? That is, is, is putting something on God, presuming something on God that he does not you and we need to call it what it is all right God does not in, intend for us to always live in health and wealth and comfort so there are reasons God might not choose to heal let's let's talk specifically about them what are some possible reasons God might choose not to heal number one you don't ask this can be the case where we think it's so trivial we don't even think about it it can be so big we're like oh I just You have no confidence in God's uh, ability or power or goodness to work. James 4 tells us you have not because you ask not. The well-known churchman John Wimber said this, When we prayed for no one, no one was healed. When we prayed for lots of people, some were healed. I believe that God wants us to be persistent in our prayers for healing included. Unless, like, like Paul, you get some like revelation that says my grace is sufficient for you in this suffering, keep persisting in prayer for healing. So one of the possible reasons God might choose not to heal is we don't ask. Another is unconfessed sin. James again, 5.16, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James is saying there's a connection between our, our relational wholeness and our physical wholeness, right? Sickness is not always caused by our sin, but sin always causes sickness in some form, psychosocial or physically. And so when we, when we pray in this way, we're confessing our sin to get rid of any possible root for our sickness, so that's a possible reason God might not heal, unconfessed sin, we don't ask. Next, you need deliverance, demonic deliverance. There's uh, several stories of healings in the gospels, things that we would not expect to be related to the demonic realm, like uh, there was a man who, was, who could not hear, there was a man who was bent over for years and years and years, and yet when Jesus heals them, he says he's unbinding Satan. Okay, there's, it's possible that there is a demonic or spiritual component to the affliction that you're facing. That's a possibility, though. We've got to be very careful. We've got to be very cautious about that. It requires discernment, the gift of discernment, which is why we preached on this three weeks ago. So I'd say just go back and listen to that. So possible reasons. You don't ask. Unconfessed sin. You need deliverance. Another, you don't desire it. This, this can seem like strange uh, to say, but Jesus, he would go up to people and say, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And Jesus, he, he knew how it was possible for us to grow dependent and to actually make an identity out of our sickness and, and the compassion or the attention that it, that it brings us. Do you want to be healed? So we should desire it. Fifth reason, God's providence. Uh, God doesn't promise us healing from sickness in this life. This should be clear by now. He doesn't promise us healing from sickness in this life. But let me tell you what he does promise us healing from, and that is the penalty of your sin. He absolutely promises that our sin, the penalty of our sin, is that sense of we bear a load of responsibility for the suffering that we have caused to others, that we've caused to ourselves, that we cause to God. And What Jesus is saying is that we can have full healing from the penalty of that sin. He can fully remove that burden. Not some of it, but all of it. All we have to do is turn and see Jesus who was lifted up on that cross. And healing can come. The release of our sin can come to us because he bore it for us. And in the same way that he bore uh, the penalty of our sin and we can release all of that to him and he promises to take that away from us, to release us from guilt and being racked by, you know, repressed guilt is like this anxiety. He can release us from that. Today, he promises in the same way to bring us to full wholeness in the future in even our bodies. Does that make sense? And so we can have hope We can have hope based on what we see here in the present Jesus has taken, yes, the penalty of my son, that he will fully restore us in the future when he comes again. His return is certain. And when Jesus returns one day, it says all tears, all sickness, and all death will be wiped away. Until then, though, we live in this tension of knowing this is possible, but not always seeing this happen. Sometimes it breaks in, and this is God's providence. There is a mystery to the way that God works. We know he is working things together for our good, and so sometimes we see the future break into the present. We see healing come. He he says yes to our prayers for healing. Sometimes, though, he says not yet, and if he has our good in mind, that means he has better timing for us, and then sometimes he says no, It's not that he has better timing. He has something better, completely different for us. What could that possibly be? This would be another reason. He wants to refine us. A possible reason God doesn't respond to our asks for healings. He wants to refine us because God's priority is our holiness, which has eternal value and weight, not necessarily our physical health, which is temporal. Does that make sense? And so we hear this, and for some of us, this might be comforting, but for others of us, this is going to be, this is a really hard reality to swallow. If you've gone through hardship and sickness and suffering in your life, the theology of this is difficult to swallow. What it takes is for us to remember who Jesus was to us and for us. That Christianity sets itself apart from every other philosophy and religion of this world and that our God has wounds. He went through it before us. He has passed through death before us so that when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you know he, the good shepherd, will be with you right to the end. Does that make sense? He is with us. He is with you. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, says it like this. Sorry, I'm hearing feedback. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed when we share in the sufferings of Christ, we get to learn some of his heart for us and with us. Andrew Fulford said this to us once, God's love to you is not shown in how easy he makes your life. God's love is shown to you by how much glory of his you get to see. God's love is not shown to you by how easy he makes his life, but he shows his love by how much of his glory you get to see. This is also what this verse is saying, and I can attest to that in my own life, and certainly in the life and the suffering I saw in my mother. Now, having said this, this doesn't mean that we pray for suffering. It doesn't mean that we pray that we will enter into times of persecution, you know, in our society or whatever. Johnny Erickson Tata, who is Lived her life with suffering, says this Don't ask for God, God for suffering, steward the suffering He's already given you. Does that make sense? Don't ask for it, steward it. So, for healing, desire it, ask for it, confess all known sin, and sure you haven't given Satan any leeway into your life. And if you're still sick, Trust God's goodness to you through it that he is refining you for his glory that you get to share in sufferings with him and keep praying persistently keep praying persistently how can I say that if I've just given one two, three, four, five six reasons God might possibly not heal you how can I say keep praying persistently because there is a final reason that is po- final possible reason God might choose not to heal you does anybody know? What this is. Your lack of this might hinder God. There's one more reason. Okay, let me say what I've said so far. You don't ask for it, unconfessed sin, you need deliverance, you don't desire it, God's providence, he wants to define you. Is there any other reason that's possible? Yes, faith. What role does faith play in healing and miracles? Scripturally, we see that sometimes the sick had faith, To the woman with the bleeding problem, Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. To the man who is lowered through the roof, Jesus says, the faith of your friends, on that account, you have been made well. Sometimes it is the faith of the person praying. And then other times, like the Gospel of John, you never see faith mentioned. God is just sovereign, and he just enacts his will. But most times, though, you see that somebody had faith. Faith often plays a role. It's so important that we mentioned that. Especially, we're talking about faith as a gift. Galatians 3.5 says this, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Did you catch that? The text says that he can supply miracles. This is possible when we hear with faith. That's incredible. Hearing here, of course, is not just the hearing that you are doing of me now. That's you know, auditory. It's not just understanding, me explaining what these three gifts are. No, it's a deeply rooted belief and trust and confidence in God's power and his ability to work. Why does faith play a role like this in our lives? Because of what it is, right? Faith is confidence. It is trust in another. In this case, it is trust and confidence in God and not ourselves. This is why faith plays this important role. See, what's the opposite of faith? Tell tell me, what is the opposite of faith? Unbelief, yes. Keep going with that, though. Unbelief in God, it's... If faith is confidence and trust, unfaith is... Not confidence, not trust. It's trust or confidence in ourselves. Okay? It's not like you have a vacuum here. Okay? Your trust and confidence is oriented towards something or someone. Okay? So the opposite of faith, it's self-confidence. It's saying, I can heal myself. I can restore myself. I can do this by my own will and by my own ability and power. Whereas faith is this great act of self-denial. It's saying, I cannot do that. I do not have the power to restore myself. Only God can. And that's why God wants faith. Because that releases, it unhinders us so that he can work through us. And we need that. We need his help. We need his power. We need his resources to heal and restore. Now, why would God want us to do that? The gift of faith, all the gifts. It brings glory to him. It shows us who he is. In all of his power and glory and strength and brilliance and might. Is that selfish of God? To want us to put all of our confidence and trust in him? Is he like, oh, I want it? No. Actually, it's the most unselfish thing that God could ever do. See, what happens when we put our trust and our confidence in ourselves is that we well up with pride and disorder tends to break out among us. But when we put our confidence and trust in God who is wholly other than us, God who is goodness itself, the things of God tend to break out among us. Joy and peace, patience, goodness, his power. It's the most unselfish thing God could ever ask is for us to put our confidence and trust in him. And so faith plays this integral role in healing and miracles. Hearing by faith clears the way for God. Okay, So then what am I to do with that struggle I mentioned earlier? Remember I said it's difficult. I struggle. I've struggled to believe in the sort of vision of of our church or in these gifts of faith, healing, and miracles. Let's go back to that text of Jesus in Mark 11. Jesus said what? Have faith in God. Don't doubt in your heart. Like this fig tree, miracles are possible, but how am I supposed to have faith in God? How am I supposed to take Jesus's statement there? Like, am I supposed to, to like squeeze my prayer muscle till it like bursts? Am I supposed to like work my mind, just coerce it and say no, and, and when doubts come up, I just stuff them down and just repress them? Is that faith? No, no, I don't believe that's faith. That's spiritual pretending. That's what Sam has called spiritual pretending. That's when you try and force yourself to believe. See, I can't believe, if I'm praying for a miracle or some healing, I can't believe at will, that is, you know, my, by my own will, that God's gonna work and power in that moment. No, I need God to gift me with the confidence in that moment, it's his ability and his power that's gonna work. He can stir that confidence in my heart. And so what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just sit around and wait? I actually say, no, yes, we are to have patience, but we're not just to to, to sit around. No, we're to, like all of the gifts, pursue. This was what was so striking for me in preparing this message is I just never really seen that You you can pursue the gift of faith. You can pursue increasing and deepening faith in your heart. So you can cultivate your heart in such a way that you increase your confidence in the greatness of God And at the same time, diminish your doubts in him. You can do that. We have actually a responsibility to do that, to be zealous in the spirit, to pursue all of the gifts, including faith. And that'll stir you to confidence. That's the shift that we've been needing here. Okay, so how do I do that? How do I cultivate a heart such that my confidence in God to do the miraculous increases and my doubts uh, diminish? I'm going to give a few points uh, of application on this, and then we'll close. One of them is remembering that Jesus healed a number of people. It's cool to study those different accounts. And he says, not, is it my will to heal at certain points in time? He says, do you believe I am able to heal? That's what God is asking of us, isn't it? And even at times, there was a guy who said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus still healed him. Was it the amount of faith he had? No. People often say, like, I don't have enough faith to pray for healing. Look, guys, it's not about the amount of faith you have, it's about the object of your faith. It's quantity, it's quality. Jesus, your trust, your confidence, your relational confidence in him. And he delights in that, and his power can move and surge through you at that point. So I'm going to give you some uh, practical ways that you can stir your heart to confidence and diminish doubt that we have a way of cultivating faith in us. One, remember the true nature of reality. We live in a miraculous universe and you are, your existence in it is miraculous. They call it the Goldilocks zone, but whatever. This, this is, our universe is more than just a bunch of molecules, okay, on top of each other. It is sustained by the spirit of God. We live in a supernatural world that changes the conditions. See, it's easy for us to forget that when we live behind our phones or in a concrete jungle actually felt that in me this week i was feeling my heart waning i was feeling just sort of like meh and i believe i heard the spirit actually remind me this is a very specific verse it said um the heavens declare the glory of god i was like what do you want in that lord and i believe this the spirit was saying like jordan you just need to get out in nature like enjoy my handiwork see it for all its goodness and its power and in that you're going to remember how small you are and your confidence in me will increase see remember the true nature of reality it's easy to lose sight of that it can be as simple as taking a walk right to remind you of god's power remember the true nature of reality that that can help grow your confidence guard against cynicism Um, if you are a christian who thinks that the miracles worked in the bible are only for the Bible and have no confidence in God's power or the possibility of him working today, I would say you are probably more influenced by naturalism and secularism than you are by biblical Christianity. Okay? And that can be hard for us to come to terms with, but it is a reality. Be sc- shaped first and foremost by scripture. Don't let the poverty of your experience determine your theology your belief of what is possible in God. Let your theology, your belief in God and who he is, and what he's done and what he can do in you, determine your experience. It doesn't mean, of course, all miraculous claims are true. In fact, I'm sure there's many false claims out there, but it doesn't mean they also at the same time never happen. See, I'm not calling you to be uh, gullible and I'm not calling you to be super presumptuous on the other hand and just command things that God has never Uh, promised, right? I'm saying ask questions. Like if somebody claims a miracle, don't doubt, just okay, ask questions. What happened? What's the context? What's the most reasonable explanation given the scenario? Do We see God's hand working here. Okay, so remember the true nature of reality. Guard your heart against cynicism. Next, you can cultivate confidence just by listening to the church. We have a cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, And is going with us running the same race that we are in all right listen to the stories read the stories of history fox's book of martyrs when the spirit of god was was sustaining the church miraculously even while it was being persecuted listen to the stories of people in contemporary history you can read books like i don't know through gates of splendor or the heavenly man like I, I love these kinds of books. They, they remind me, they stir my heart to confidence of what God is able to do. Revivals, the East African revival, the Korean revival, these are in our generation, or I guess the generation before us. Right? These are incredible moves of God that can cultivate confidence. Next, obey. You're like, How do I obey if I'm not confident in God? Let me try and explain how this works. See, the funny thing is, when you obey, you actually find there's a sort of feedback loop that's created, and your heart shifts into confidence as you take steps for him. One of the things I've struggled with over the years, and I've mentioned this previously, is I've struggled to believe that God is going to provide for me and my family financially. I've even found that God's call on us to just be generous was beyond what I was comfortable with. Like, I'm making my budget, and I'm like, oh... Really? And yet I obey. And you know what I found? I found my heart shift into confidence. I'm now confidence post-giving that God can provide. Why? How did that happen? It's the teaching of Jesus. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, as we extend ourselves and obedience. As we take risks for the mission of God, we find our hearts drawn deeper and deeper into him and his kingdom, and our confidence grows. There's a sort of feedback loop to that. Obey and confidence. This applies to mission. It applies to our prayers. Jeff, uh, with our team this week, he was sharing this. I thought this was so good. He said, you know, faith is, guys, it's believing what we can't see. See, so many of us, we, we measure our lives by what we can see, attain or do. Like goals. Smart goals. This is what Jeff was saying. Smart goals. You guys know what smart goals are? It's an acronym. What is it? The S stands for something. In NDG they got it. So competition is on. What does the S stand for? Specific? M. Yes. A. Attainable. Yeah. Realistic. And then T for timely, or time-bound. So smart goals are specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. But these require no faith, do they, as a Christian? Are these the sort of goals we set, smart goals? No. We should set goals that have expectation on God, of God's power, of God's ability to work, have faith in God, right? We should not set smart goals. We should set SMART goals. Smart, at- measurable, unattainable realistic and time-bound, smart goals, unattainable goals. That is what I want to be praying for. Is that what you're praying for? These sorts of goals in accordance with his will, but nonetheless huge expectations of God, of his ability to work, and his goodness and his delight in doing that? I'm not talking about presumptuous prayers. I'm talking about humble, confident prayers that he loves to provide. And that's what we struggle with, though, isn't it? That he loves to provide. We struggle with that. This is the final one. And I think this is probably the most important one. How do we uh, cultivate a heart of confidence so that these gifts can come and easily work through us? Remember the true nature of reality. Guard against cynicism. Listen to the church. Obey and then enjoy God. That verse again in Galatians 3.5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What does it look like to hear with faith? That is trusting and treasuring what God has already said in his word and enjoying him. Do you trust and do you treasure him? Not just him for what he's done, but for who he is. Do you enjoy him? That will grow your heart and confidence believe it or not, meditating and enjoying him will increase your confidence and diminish your doubt and prepare and cultivate your heart for these sorts of things to take place. You're like, well, isn't belief enough? No. Belief is like God exists. Trust is like, I don't just believe you exist. I'm confident in you. I'm confident in your ability to pride. I trust and I treasure you. You will pull through. You will deliver. See, it's that kind of faith that pleases God. That's the kind of faith that sets the sails of our heart so that when the Spirit blows, we go. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith I want for our church. Have faith in God. This is the number one reason we do not have confidence in God and we doubt. We doubt because we don't enjoy God. We doubt his heart of compassion. This is the number one reason. And yet, he delights in caring for you. This is what you need to be reminded of. See, Jesus didn't heal people because he was powerful. Jesus healed people because he had compassion on them. He loved them. And how many of us forget that? As we are praying for this kind of stuff, for healing or the miraculous, we forget the heart of God for us. We think things like, oh, Jesus, he can't be bothered with me. Or Jesus, he doesn't have time for me. Or he's forgotten me. Or Jesus, he's even worse, he's repulsed by me. But remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Jesus is not too busy for you. Remember Bartimaeus, who was blind, crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples in the crowd is like, get out of here, shut up. What did Jesus say? He calls him. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is not too busy for you. He's not stuck in some crowd. He has time, and he's calling out to you, what do you want from me? He's not too busy for you. Or remember the man at the pool of Bethesda. It's not that he has forgotten you. That guy was there for 38 years, invalid. Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be healed? And heals him. Jesus has not forgotten you. It doesn't matter how much time has taken place. You can persistently pray to him and trust his heart of compassion and goodness to you. Jesus is certainly not repulsed by you. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. That would have been something that was shameful, that was thought to contaminate other people. And yet, what does she do? She comes up and she touches the garment of Jesus. Jesus, who touched me? The heart of compassion that God had for her. He was not repulsed by her. His love flowed out from her. He's not repulsed by you. Nothing that you have done holds him off from you. You just need to run from him. And his heart is for you, for your goodness for you he is for you he delights in you it says power flowed out from him it takes so little of his power we disbelieve his power power flowed out from in only a little bit of his power can fully make you well you just need to come close to jesus close just draw near to his presence And his power is more than enough to make you well. (laughs) Do you believe that God is that sort of God? That God is a God that delights to heal you, that delights to restore, that delights in you? He does. The psalmist says this, he rescued me because he delighted in me. And I think you need to hear that over you today as if God says to us, what I delight in and what I respond to is your confidence and my ability to do work in your life. So it moves him in his heart. And so I found these things to increase my confidence and diminish my doubt as I've done them in the goodness and in the power of God. He is eager and he is able, as you know it's possible your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Why don't we ask him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are here with us by your Spirit, that you know what we need before we even ask, that you are able to move in such power. and Your heart is, is oriented to us with such goodness overflowing that we do not need to question you. We do not need to doubt in you and your power and ability, but you will work all things for good to those that love God and are called according to your purposes. Lord, I pray for anybody here who is suffering. Lord, I pray that they would know your goodness and your comfort in your presence with them in that. and That you are ultimately about their glorification. You're for them. They would sense you as present. And God, would you move and work in, our, in, our, in us? Would you release gifts of faith and healing and miracles in us? Would you move in our city? Would you cause the Spirit to be poured out such that it's never been seen this way before in, this, in our time and in this place? Lord, we have faith, but we also we struggle to believe. Help our unbelief increase our confidence in you. In Jesus' name, this is our prayer. And we ask for this for the sake of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.